every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. My chat this week is with community and remote experience expert, Tatiana Correa. After spending six years at Lululemon cultivating community initiatives and three years at Shopify leading the way in remote experiences, Tatiana founded Revolve Culture Solution based in Vancouver, BC. Revolve supports companies that are looking to incorporate a remote culture to ensure all employees have a sense of community, connection, and belonging. Here's my chat with Tatiana. Okay, Tatiana, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So like every podcast, we start with the same question to every guest. Can you tell us who you are, where you are, and a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Tatiana Correa. I'm based in Vancouver, BC, Canada, and I am the founder and owner of Revolve Culture Solutions. So I'm a community and remote experience expert. I'm passionate about cultivating an inclusive workplace environment grounded in connection, community, and belonging. Um, So after spending six years at Lululemon creating, cultivating community experiences and three years at Shopify, I started Revolve. Uh, So Revolve supports companies who are either keeping their remote teams remotely or having that hybrid between an in-office and uh, remote culture. So I support them on what their overall remote employee experience looks like. Awesome. So I invited you to come onto the podcast to speak specifically about remote culture. Um, We've had a number of guests and we've yet to have kind of like a people and culture specialist. Would you call yourself a people and culture person? Do you sit under the HR function? Where do you kind of fit into the mix? I would say probably under like the talent spectrum, so under culture within an organization. Okay, cool. How did you find your way into this? You mentioned very briefly that you spent six years at Lululemon and then you were at three years, or excuse me, you had three years at Shopify. How did you find your way into this niche? You know what? Honestly, it was a bit of a fluke. So like I said, I was at Shopify for, or sorry, at Lululemon for six years. And that is very similar to experiences within an office. So experiences that you build within a community kind of have the same sort of traits. And so Shopify was actually not something that was on my radar. I was like, I guess, headhunted on LinkedIn, I guess is the way that I would put it, um, with somebody who used to work at Lululemon. And so I think they kind of saw the similarities that could kind of be pulled from building communities out in the, in the world and then building a remote community internally. So that's kind of how they, they put me into that. Um, I was actually originally hired to take on the remote experience of BC for Shopify. And then within a couple of months, I took it on as a whole uh, across Shopify. And then over the three years expanded from the 3,500 to gosh, I think there are 8,000 people before I left. Oh my goodness. Incredible. So you were doing this for three years and you were sitting under the talent function. When they brought you on to do this for BC, what was the pitch to you? What was the job supposed to look like? What were you kind of brought in to handle? So I think they had seen a decrease in engagement um, among remote employees. So Shopify as a whole hasn't had a huge remote presence except for under support, which is like their support specialists that are kind of around the world. But specifically in BC, I think they'd seen a, a disengagement within their employees. And so I was specifically brought in to kind of bring that engagement up. I think bring that fun, kind of look to see what the problems were and then solve them. Hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about engagement, because this is something that comes up a lot. And I mean, we, Chart Mogul, are a remote company, and we were remote before it was cool, is usually what I say to people, aka before the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. 
But when I talk to people about this, the biggest thing that they worry about or question is engagement. So tell me like what engagement looked like before you came in and then how you guys were measuring engagement afterwards. So I think before we came in, so where do I even start with this? So there, there was definitely a lot of people that were trying to rally around creating a community. So I think that's where I almost start with engagement is there was a lack of community. And so people were kind of going in and out of work, which you're spending a ton of time in, but there wasn't a lot of like that camaraderie. So there was people that were trying to build it, but on the side of their desk. So I think that's where they realized that they needed somebody to come and actually build it and it be their actually full-time job rather than something that they were kind of trying to do kind of like half on the side of their desk. So I think that was kind of their overall picture of it. And I, I want to say that they probably figured this out through pulse surveys. I'm not sure pre pre to my coming in, post me coming in, I did a lot more than than pulse surveys, more than anything because pulse surveys tend to happen only once a year. And so you're not able to really kind of see the development throughout. So we did them quarterly, specifically within the support org, so not across the company, specifically within support org. But that's kind of how we how we measure it is is based on surveys. Okay, so pulse surveys would be one methodology. This is something that I'm curious about. Are there methodologies or strategies that companies use or should be aware of to kind of measure or cultivate culture? Yeah, there's actually there's a company actually based in Vancouver called Checking In. It's a really fascinating company. And so they it's an app, but I believe they've been working on a Slack integration as well, which I think they're almost there. But anyways, it's an app and it asks you three questions. It takes about 20 to 30 seconds and it'll tell you pick a number between one and 10, how you're feeling. Um, the word that you describe to it. And then you kind of do a little bit of a journal afterwards. So like I said, very short amount of time. But what they do is they actually send these results to like the employer at the end of every month. So you're actually able to keep task or sorry, not task track on what is happening within your company based on global events, based on a rollout that happened. And it's all anonymous, but you're kind of able to see where your company is at consistently. So that they're an incredible asset to kind of build into a company to, to kind of stay on track to what's happening and and just know what your employees need. How do you think employees respond to that? Do you think that people feel heard by doing these type of surveys? Do people feel hesitant? What's the kind of internal response to this type of pulse checking? I think there's a bit of both. I think once they find out that it is anonymous, I think they're able to kind of rest assured a little bit more, um, as well as it coming from a third party. Because in my experience, there's times where you roll out something as a company but you don't know, like they tell you that it's anonymous, but you don't know that because it's something that was built within the company. So I think there's there's that a little bit lack of trust, knowing that you can be fully transparent on something that was built from your company. But when you have an app like checking in, that's a third party, there is a little bit more trust because that part they are they do hold it very anonymously, and they won't leak anything like your names to your employees. So I think that that allows it to build a little bit more trust. Mm. Okay, so there's obviously like a lot of impact that's going to happen to the team and the, the kind of remote workers on the on the ground. Let's talk a little bit about the leadership. How did you interact with leadership at Shopify or at other experiences you've had now with Revolve in getting leaders involved with the, the remote work experience to make sure it's a healthy environment for people or an environment that people are connected to? Yeah, this one's an interesting one because I do think from frontline teams, they're very into this more than anything, because people are wanting that work-life synergy. They're wanting to get out of the big cities. They want to actually grow and have a family and have more of that balance where 
in my experience, C-level execs tend to be a little bit harder and, and to, to kind of loop into this working. Um, the good thing with the pandemic, I mean, if, if we can pull anything that was good for it, would have been the fact that everyone was forced to work remotely. And companies have now been proven and shown that productivity doesn't actually drop. It actually can increase when you work from home because you you know you don't have that commute, you don't have the chatter. And if you look at even offices as a whole, how many times do you see people with their headphones in or sneaking off to small rooms or you know what I mean? Like all these little things that they're showing that they actually need quiet. So you're actually getting that from home. So I think the pandemic really did help to kind of show those C execs. But pre-pandemic, I would have said it it's it used to be a, a bigger sell than it is now. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people got really uncomfortable really quick having to move remote, whether that was somebody who was having to do their job from home and manage a variety of different things or a bunch of people that were having to manage their team remotely as well. Are there areas that this can go wrong? Have you seen areas where remote cultures can kind of go haywire and things don't necessarily work out as well as you'd anticipate or you wanted? Honestly, leadership. I think that's when it can go wrong. I think when you have leaders who don't know how to lead a remote team, or when you are doing that hybrid of in-office and remote employees, I think that's when it can it can cause some a bit of a rift. A really good example is you're back in the office, and, and this I can actually take from personal experience. Back in the day when I joined Shopify, I was the only remote employee in my team. And so what that meant is that a lot of them would have in-person meetings all together, and I was the one person on the screen. And so there would be a lot of side conversations that people were having that I actually didn't get to be a part of. So a lot of it was like, oh, wait, what's going on? Like, what's what's actually happening? Instantly, I'm disengaged from what's going on. And that was that's also just leadership, right? So fast forward a couple more years into Shopify, we all are all remote. Uh, now there is actually a rule that everyone has to have their own square on Zoom or whatever, whatever you use to kind of communicate with each other. Everyone has their own square so that everyone actually has a voice rather than somebody on the screen. So that's kind of an interesting example. But I think leadership overall, if you don't know how to manage your remote team, that's where that team can actually crumble. Yeah, totally. I had a conversation with a gentleman once in an Uber in San Francisco, and he was working for Skip the Dishes, which is a uh, another Canadian company that has done really, really well. And he was managing a remote team. And he had all these questions for me as a remote worker, like, how do you like to be communicated with? And we talked about things like Slack. And I'm zoning, you know, my team is based all over the world, and I get Slack messages at all hours of the day. There's all these things that people don't think about when you are a remote team that can be really, really stressful. Are you spending time working with leaders to help them kind of think through these things? Or is it kind of case by case? Where do you come in and play your part at Revolve? So I specifically work with the culture team, which would fall under the talent umbrella. I do everything from kind of poking holes in what their offerings are to the remote employees to what their overall uh, employee experience looks like. So a good example of that is you know, everyone went home at the beginning of the pandemic. And most people that I knew went home with laptops. And that was it. And everyone hoped they'd be back in two weeks. And now we're what 18 months in, people are still working from home, there's now this big pivotal shift and people staying working from home. And what does that actually, you know, how does that impact our bodies? A huge part of that is ergonomic. Uh, what do companies offer their teams? What kind of home office setups do they offer them? You know, what does that kind of look like? Because that's kind of like the, the first step into people being productive is actually having a good space to be productive in. And so there are a lot of companies who are supporting them, whether it's an annual allowance, whether it's, you know, gifting them desks or chairs or whatever that looks like. 
So I actually support them in looking at, at the overall holistic picture and then as well as their experience that they offer them. So what do virtual events look like? What do offsites look like, whether they're virtual or in person? So all that kind of stuff, I'll work with them specifically. Uh, and kind of like a big part is if you're actually keeping that in office and remote and you're doing the hybrid, what does, how does that actually work together? Because an in-office employee and a remote employee, very different experiences, and you can't expect it to be the same. So it's going to have to be a little bit of a balance. And then what I do is I just kind of come in and support them and try to help them figure out what their balance is going to look like and how their employees are going to equally feel valued. Cool. You uh, mentioned something really interesting there, which is the concept of off-sites. Again, before we were... I mean, we were hipster long before it was cool to be remote and try yeah. Google those offsites. And it's something that we really enjoy. And it's a time to come together as a team and get to know the people that perhaps I don't engage with on a day-to-day basis. My first night at our offsite, I sat next to one of our developers who'd come in from India. And it was like the first time that we really even met. And we had this amazing kind of interaction. It was so great. And I think that a lot of people look forward to those times. How do offsites get facilitated? What are some things that you would talk about on the on the note of offsites to ensure that they're really successful? Yeah. So, I mean, offsites now more than ever are really more important for sure, um, especially because so many people haven't seen each other so much. So there's, there's a couple of things to consider with offsites. One of them is how often do you run them? I personally think, I mean, at least once a year, if you're able to do quarterly, you know, budget dependent, I think that's great. It also depends on where everybody is, say, you know, cost and fuel and all that kind of stuff. So, the frequency at least once a year, if you can do it more, I think it's needed. Um, another thing to consider is, are you kind of pairing up with, you know, are you bringing everyone together and doing a little bit of a conference? If that's what you're doing, also ensure that the, your teams are able to be together and they're able to actually have that collaboration and they're able to kind of do be in the work at the same time. One thing that the pandemic really kind of shines the light on is that conferences don't necessarily need to be fully in person as well. So I can think back to many times where I could, you know, I'm sitting in a room for three days, eight hours a day learning. How much of that am I actually retaining? And so during the pandemic, you know, at Shopify, we did virtual conferences and they were just more digestible. And so one thing that I kind of took away from that is that when you have those in-person moments, allow for your team to actually bond, to get to know each other past what they do, get to know them on a little bit more of a personal level and keep those learning opportunities virtually. You, you're much more comfortable at home. You can sit on your couch, you know, stream at your TV. And as much as you can offer all the different seating you can at a conference, it's, it's not the same. You don't have the same amount of attention span. You're not able to pause or go back to something. And so I think that that's kind of a big one as well is, is keep it small. Keep the things that you can do it virtually. Do them virtually. Things that can be in an email and be taught separately or do it at a town hall. Keep them separate. But really, you know, keep that connection piece uh, between everybody for for all sites. Yeah. And I think that this is kind of just morphing into my next point around this hybrid model that I think we're going to see in the workplace, right? This idea that maybe you have some people that want to go into an office and then you have other people that don't or you have you know, learnings that happen at an offsite and some that some that happen at home. How do you see the hybrid model kind of going in the future? And what are some things to consider with that? Well, I think the hybrid model is interesting because it actually allows people to make choice of what, what is they want, right? Um, of course, there's going to be some rules that are just beneficial to be in an office. But I think the number one thing is to allow for choice and to allow to switch 
if that's the case. So if you want to go back into an office and you realize this is actually not working, I'm not able to concentrate, whatever that looks like, to allow people to have the choice, whether they can go remote or not, or you know, have the option of going into an office or something like you guys do is, is have the ability to go into an office when you need it. Something like a WeWork, like a Quench, you know, there's many global different ones that, that offer co-working spaces. I think that's where there's a, a bit of a, a nice sweet spot is these places do offer smaller offices within a co-working space. And so something like that could be, could be a good alternative for everyone within that like hybrid model. Yeah, I was talking to another big company here in Vancouver, and they were saying that they grew in the pandemic because they could hire so many more people because it was a lot cheaper to not have to necessarily have space for everybody. But now people are double vaxxed and the workplaces are going back or people are asking to go back. And there's this concept of like, uh, we didn't really account for this. So hot desking is something that people are talking about. It's interesting that the co-working environment was so trendy five years ago. And now I think it's going to become the norm. I think it's going to be something we see. Yeah, absolutely. I think even we might even see some companies kind of pairing together and doing that office share where they can actually bring together different companies who can actually experience the same feeling of an office without necessarily going all in uh, and being able to still offer that remote space. Totally. I mean, I was an office worker for, you know, 10 years almost. And I I think the portion of my job that I love so much was the ability to know my colleagues in a much more personal way, grabbing coffees with people, being able to look someone face to face through like a difficult conversation or something that really required a lot of strategy. I definitely miss that. But I would say that my productivity since being a remote worker is so much higher. And I think a lot of people in our generation, at least, are feeling that way. And it's been an interesting shift. Oh, absolutely. All right. Let's talk a little bit about who's doing this well. So your experience comes from Shopify. As you mentioned, Shopify wasn't initially fully remote. But as a Canadian company, they have been watched from our lens as to who's doing it well. Are there other companies that you can think of that are, are doing the remote workforce really well or are really vocal about the ways that they're doing it? So I've, I've given this a bit, bit of thought and I don't think that there's a single company that's nailing this completely. Um, I do think that Shopify is kind of a, at the forefront of, of leading what it looks like when they decided to go what they called at that point, I think digital by default, I think it's digital by design now, you know, Facebook came after them and Instagram came after that. And so they all, there's, I think there's a lot of companies who have followed since. Uh, I don't think there's a single one that I would say is nailing it. I think the ones close to it are ones who started remote. So like Mogul, for example, like you guys started remote. And so you guys are able to kind of build your culture from a remote lens, as opposed to companies who haven't been remote and are building the culture to be remote friendly. So I think the only companies who who are probably really nailing it are the ones who don't know what it feels like to be in an office. Shopify is is probably the the closest one, but there's still definitely, you know, opportunities for growth in there as well. Yeah. And I think that this is something you and I talked about offline. There's additional trends that will come from the companies that, you know, started remote and will always be remote. And then there's additional trends like companies that have always initiated things like a four day work week. I think the tech trend is really changing and we're seeing this a lot in our peers as to how the workplace actually looks and feels and how much it differs from, let's say, 10 years in the past. Have you worked with any companies that are trying other things around this kind of concept, whether that be the four-day work week or other strategies? Yeah, it's actually interesting that you mentioned the four-day work week. That's that's kind of been a very popular one that I actually just heard um, Kickstarter is, is starting to do as well. And an interesting thing is Spain 
is actually rolling out a three-year trial of the four-day work week across the country. So it isn't a company, it's the entire country's doing it. And I, Spain's an, another story. I think that their their work-life synergy is just has been nailing it for years. But don't they also get siestas? <laughs> I know. I was gonna say the siesta now it's now it's the four day work week. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of companies, the four day work week is something that I think scares a lot of people uh, and intrigues a lot of people. I think probably for millennials it's more intriguing for us because, you know, in the past the four day work week hasn't really been a thing, more smaller companies. So how do larger companies do it? And how does it actually benefit those companies? So if we look back at, I want to say like the history of, of work weeks, you know, it, it all was because of farming. So farming, you needed to be working a hundred hours a week. And then I believe I want to say it was 1926, um, Henry Ford, who started Ford Motors, popularized the 40 hour work week. And then it wasn't until I think the 1940s that the 40-hour work week became a thing. And now, fast forward to 2021, people are actually realizing that you don't need to be working 100 hours to be getting done what you can get done in 32 hours. And so it's definitely one that's not as daunting so much for people now. But it is it is an interesting one because you, you can get more work done within the four-day work week. Um, I think... You also have to be cautious because I understand that there's, you know, there's companies who offer customer service that's 24 seven. So how does that, you know, what does that look like for hourly employees? What does that look like for, you know, different teams around the world? A nice way to kind of get into it. And uh, companies have done this. And this is something that I've suggested and, and Shopify did last year and, and they're doing this year as well is they rolled it out for the summer. So that way it kind of allows them to kind of dip their feet, not commit to anything, but kind of see how the productivity looks like and, I'm not sure if they're testing it for a while and then rolling it or I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But it's a nice way for companies to kind of dip their feet and see if it's something that does work, see if it is something that is supporting the productivity levels at, at the office or re- working remote. So it's a, it's a good alternative without kind of diving full in. But also, like, if, if you feel it works, then, you know, do what Kickstarter did or what Spain did and just do a big old trial and, and, see, and see what works. I personally, big fan. It's very interesting. I mean, it all comes back to employee satisfaction. And I think something that I kind of breezed over and probably should have touched on more heavily is this falls under talent, which talks most specifically about retention, like the retention of your employees and the satisfaction of your employees. And if you have strong employee turnover or you have a lot of employee turnover, that's really expensive for your business. So these are all really interesting strategies. So, Tatiana, you are based in Vancouver, but how can people find you? Where can they read about what you're doing or follow along? Yeah, so called Revolve Culture Solutions without the E at the end of Revolve. So it's our address is just www.revolveculturesolutions.com. You can also find us at Revolve Culture Solutions on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm always kind of here to answer questions and and help guide the way through what that, you know, what the remote world experience looks like. Fabulous. Well, we'll make sure we add your details here. Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, love. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chartmogul today.